Good morning, New Hope. Great to see you. If you'd like to take out your outlines. When you're doing that, I want to ask you a question. If somebody were to ask you to describe the Christian life in a few words, what would you say? Another question would be, what does God want from us more than anything else? Just a couple of words, what would you say? Now, if immediately thought of moral devotion or ethical behavior or ritual behavior or ritual type of things, you'd be wrong. The essence of the Christian life can be summed up in two words, loving relationship. God wants to have a loving relationship with you. And the Bible says that God made you to love you. And therefore, he wants to have a relationship with you. And that means that you were created for a purpose of having a relationship with him. And as a result, the most important thing you need to do in this life is get to know God's love, that he loves you, and then love him back. Jesus said it like this, the verse that Chris just alluded to in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Numero uno. Now, if you do this, you will fulfill your primary purpose in life. Contrary to that, if you miss this, you have missed the very reason that God created you and put you on the earth. One, to be loved, and two, to love. Now, the Bible uses one word to describe this. That word is worship. And we often think that worship is something that we just do in a church. No. Worship merely means and simply means you expressing your love to God. You can do that by yourself, in a small group, or in a larger group like we have here. Now, I don't know whether you've noticed, but some people in your life find it hard to say, I love you. And sometimes it's especially hard for men to say, I love you. And often we'll feel it, but we just don't know how to say it. How to say I love you, to express love to our children, to express love to our wives or our husbands, to our friends or our neighbors. Or, I know when I first became a Christian, even to God. So, why is it that sometimes people find it hard to say I love you? Well, it can be many reasons. One of them is you may have been raised in a home which is non-expressive. That you didn't talk about love much. It was kind of like implied, but not explicit. And in your home, perhaps you frequently didn't hear the words, I love you. Or maybe you were brought up in in a home that taught, well, you need to keep your emotions in check and push down. There's nothing wrong with self-control, but some emotions you do need to express. Some people were brought up in a home where you were taught to hide your feelings. Today we're going to talk about how to express our love to God. And it's not something we only do individually, but it's something that we especially do together. Some of the most powerful, I know from my own life, some of the most powerful moments that I've ever had as a Christian, and meaningful moments, took place in the setting of corporate worship. And John, the Apostle John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he was the last of the apostles to die. He lived on an island called Patmos, which is in the Greek islands. You can go there to this day and see where the monastery is built over where he lived. John is writing in the book of Revelation. He gives us a glimpse of an unforgettable experience of worship in heaven. And he describes a day in the future when millions of angels and believers gather for worship. And in Revelation 5, I didn't put it up there on the screen, it says this. If you've got your Bibles, you can follow along. It says 5.11. Then I looked up and I heard the singing of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and the living beings. And they sang in a mighty chorus. 
The lamb is worthy, the lamb who was killed. It's Jesus he's talking of there. He is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength, honor and glory and blessing. Blessing and honor, he goes on, and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever. Huge, with millions of them singing that. Now, I can imagine that scene a little bit because I've had the privilege of being with over 1.2 million men in Washington, D.C., and they sung, holy, 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 and gee, whiskers, my whiskers stood on end. The deep, tenor-like voices of a million, 1.2 million men, it was phenomenal. So I can imagine what that's going to be like with literally billions of them. It's mind-boggling. So that's what's going to happen in heaven. Now I want to wind back to today. In the meantime, we as a church get to practice for that great day. It's like choir practice, all right? We get a chance to practice for that. And each weekend when we come together and express our love to God, you see, in worship we're often better together. So last week I saw on the screen there a book on Amazon called 10,000 Ways to Say That I Love You. You got that book there? There it is, 10,000 Ways to Say I Love You. So today we're going to cover all 10,000. Now actually, I've got that down to six. I've condensed it. And I'm going to encourage you at the end of each of the six points to do like a little warrant of fitness. A little self-test to evaluate yourself on these ways. So if you've got an outline, I highly encourage you to use it. Because we want to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Now by the end of the, this message, I hope you will feel more loved by God. Your understanding will have grown. And that you'll have learned new ways to express your love to God. And you have learned of a deeper level of worship. Some of you in this room today may begin a relationship with Jesus Christ for the very first time this morning. For, for others of you, it may be the first time in your life you're going to understand that worship is also a team event. And yes, God wants you to express love to him as an individual. But he also loves it, you to express love together corporately with other members of God's family. So even though your worship is personal, it's not just to be private. So let's look at these six ways on your outline. The first one, we're pretty good at here at New Hope, and Ben leads us with this and his team. And that's by singing to him. That's obvious. By singing to him. I don't know whether you've noticed that love and music often go together, right? Because it comes from the heart. There are many love songs in the world. But did you know this? There would be more love songs written about Jesus than any other person in the world. Nothing or nobody even comes close. Why? Christianity is a singing faith. We just saw that in heaven. That's what's gonna that's giving you a preview of what's coming up. So that's a fact. Singing's gonna definitely be one of the things that happens in heaven, apart from many others. And why is it a singing faith? Because it's about a love relationship with God. That God loves you so much that he sent his son to die to you, for you and he wants you to love him back. Notice this verse here in Psalm 147. It says, sing out your thanks. Sing out your thanks to him. Sing praises to God. Nothing will make you more aware of God's love and his presence in your life than singing and praise. Now, I know some of you are going, whoa, 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 Pastor Ian, you don't understand. I can't sing like Ben or like Cara or Elizabeth or all these beautiful singers who are up here today. I can't do that, but that's okay. Don't worry about it because the Bible says make a joyful noise. That next slide up there. Make a joyful noise. doesn't have to be a tuneful noise, but a joyful noise. Last night, my little granddaughter in Uganda was singing Ba Ba Black Sheep over FaceTime to um, Nana and Papa. Let me tell you, that sucker was not in tune, but it delighted our hearts. <laughs> Although my daughter's got perfect pitch. So figure that. But the point is, it delighted our hearts and it delighted her heart. She's got perfect pitch and she didn't give a hoot. It delighted her to make a joyful noise into the Lord. That's what it says. Doesn't have to be, don't get too you know, constrained by that. And I know all of you can do that. How do I know that? Because I've been with you at weddings. And when I say, now, will everybody please be standing and welcome Mr. and Mrs. 
And man, you hoot and you hollow and you clap and you're excited. I've been with some of you at rugby games. Oh, you get excited there. Some of you are having a heart attack last night at the Warriors game. But the point is, you express emotion there. Why do you leave it at home when you come to church? And then you worship for God. To tell you the truth, I don't understand Christians who don't sing. There's a command given all through the scriptures. And when you read Psalms, it's not a directive to just sing individually, but also to do it together. Psalm 66, verse 8 there on the screen. Let the whole world bless our God and sing aloud his praises. Sing aloud his praises. Another one, just a little bit further on in Psalm 95. Come let us sing. Us, plural, sing. Stop. Some of you have got kids. Some of you have got grandkids. Do not miss this. You need to start when they are younger to do this. So they know it's natural to worship the Lord. Set the example when they are younger. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us give a joyous shout to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. Extol his name with music and song. There's a command here. Notice it says, let us sing. Let us make a joyous shout. Singing is an important part of you learning to express your love for God. So when you come to church, you need two things. You need God's principles for your head to give you a head alignment. But you also need the worship of God in your heart. You need to worship God because as you lift him up, you'll find the more you worship, the less you worry. That is a fact. Godly music inspires. It refreshes. It rejuvenates your heart. It also has, I've noticed, a healing element to it. It can bring healing. Healing from depression. Healing from pessimism and anxiety. The Bible says an anxious heart weighs a man down. And a woman. So if you're depressed, you need to be singing songs of worship to God. And I personally have noticed this. When I least feel like singing and getting involved, that's when I need to be worshipping the Lord. I will offer a sacrifice of praise and put on the spirit Take off the spirit of heaviness, put on a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It's, I've noticed when I don't feel like it, when I just want to stand still and be a spectator, that on, honestly means my heart is cold and it needs to be warmed up by God's spirit. I need to get involved and let God thaw my mood as I lift him up in worship. Now, can you worship God? More than just in a place like a church gathering? Of course you can. You can worship God when you're mowing the lawn. I often do with some things in my ears and I'm motoring around my lawn, rejoicing at the God's goodness in bare feet, which my wife tells me off because my feet are green after that. Whether you're washing the dishes or driving to work, whatever you're doing, hiking, you can express your love to God everywhere. But do not underestimate the power of coming together to worship. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, you not only come to receive, but you come to give to him. See, worship is not for you. Who's worship for? Him. So the wrong thing is, well, I'm not sure I like that song. Hang on. Think about the words. Think about you giving this to him. Whoa, be careful. (laughs) Worship is an offering from you to God. And each of these six ways of expressing your love to God, I'm going to ask you now to do the real stuff where we hold the mirror of God's word up and you look in it. And it says this, how often do you sing your thanks of love to God? Is it daily? Is it regularly, occasionally, or rarely? Circle the one that represents you, your current view, your current as a state now, And then put a star by where you'd like it to be. Because when you really think about what God has done in your life and you realize what he's done, you can't help yourself. It'll just start to whelm up up and overwhelm you inside. You have to worship. There's a second way you can express your love to God. And this is you can simply by talking to him. 
by talking to him. Now, it took me a while to figure this marriage deal out. I've been married 35 years. But marriage is about communication. And I noticed over time that on the days I had deep communication with Kimberly, not just, hi, how are you? How was your day? I love you. See you later. Bye-bye. But when I had deep communication with her, our relationship grows. When we have little communication or shallow communication, our relationship decays. Now, because a relationship is never standing still, it's either growing or it's decaying. You've only got two options here. The same is true with God. On the days when you have deep and significant talks with God, your relationship with God will grow. And when you have little or no talk with God, your relationship will decay. Personal observation. When you love somebody, you talk with them. Now, there were days, guys, and some of you younger people might have a heart attack at this, but our phones used to be attached by something called a cord. And if I wanted to call up Kimberly, which I did quite a few times, it would be very annoying to my mother because I will be often on the phone for three hours talking. I'm not sure about what, but three hours is a long time. <laughs> That's what happens when you fall in love with somebody. You want to talk with them because you're getting to know that person. What do you talk to God about if you want to express your love to God? Anything that you talk to your best friend about. Your concerns. Let me put it more pointedly. Your worries. The Bible says cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Your worries. Your anxieties. Your dreams. God, I'd love to do this for you. The things that you're embarrassed about. The Bible says in Psalm 116, I love the Lord because he hears and answers my prayer. Because he bends down and listens, I will pray as long as I have breath. Point of conviction. Are you praying? As long as I have breath. If you don't feel close to God, and some of you do not right now, Maybe some of you have been believers for some time, but you've lost your spark. And your Christian life has become joyless and routine. There's a simple remedy for that. Worship him and talk to him. Start with the very basics. You don't, see, you don't talk to him the way you used to. You don't worship him the way you used to. Friends, prayer is not some sort of duty that you have to do. It's a privilege that you get to do. Think about this. You get to talk to the creator of the universe. And he has invited you and he wants to talk to you. Now let me offer a word of encouragement briefly as a sidebar to the 40 days of community small groups. Friends, make prayer a priority, not just an add-on if you have time at the end. I want to encourage every person in your group to learn to pray aloud. Even if it's just one sentence, take the risk and pray this week aloud in your group. So rate yourself on this one. Expressing your love to God. So you rate this on how often do I talk to God during the day? Maybe once a day, whatever it may be. Is it regularly, occasionally, or rarely? And again, circle where you are, the as a state, and then circle where you'd like to be. If you say, I'd like to have a more prayer time with God, I just don't have the time, well, can I just say this as clearly and as simply as possible? If that's your desire, but it's not happening because of business, you are too busy. That is straight. You'll never have the time. You need to make the time. What it really is is that's not a priority. You and I and Bill Gates all have 168 hours a week. How we use those is up to us. We get the choice. Then there's a third way 
that you can express your love, and that's by listening to him. See, listening is one of the greatest gifts that you can give somebody. When I listen to my children, when I listen to my wife, I'm saying, I value what you are saying to me. I, your, your opinion is important to me. You're important to me. Now, conversely, when I don't listen to somebody, I'm basically saying, what you have to say is not important, and you are not that important either, by the way. So one of the ways you express your love to somebody is by listening to them. And the same is true with God. Every time you listen to God, you're saying, God, you matter to me. And conversely, when we don't listen to God, we're saying, you don't matter. What I'm doing matters more than what's important to you. Now, the other part of this is listening is the most understood, misunderstood form, part of prayer. What we do go is, uh, good morning, God. Hi, it's me. I've got 10 things I need to talk to you about. Please, can you give me this, 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 this. Uh, oh, running late. See you later. Adios. Goodbye. That's how it often goes. We don't stop. We don't wait. We don't listen. We don't say, God, do you have anything to say to me this morning? One of the most important steps you can take in listening to God is to set aside, make a choice to set aside time for God. Everyone is in this room have pressure-packed, deadline-filled schedules. Our days in our souls are filled with noise. But God has a remedy. The choice is, do you want to apply the remedy? You get the doctor and say, doctor, I've got this complaint. He goes, hmm, I see. Here's a script. And you sit there with that bottle of whatever it is there, and you don't take it. You may as well not gone. You just wasted 50 bucks. This is God's remedy for us in a noisy world. He said to set aside one day a week for rest and worship. See, the rhythm of life is so important. That rhythm that he talks about is so important that he put it in the top ten. That's along with don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Important. And we've blown it off. Here it is, Leviticus 23.3. For those of you who haven't seen it for a while. You have six days when you can do your work. Six. But the seventh. But the seventh. That's different, guys. The seventh day of each week is holy because it belongs to the soccer club. It belongs to the birthday parties. It belongs to the work that you didn't get done. It belongs to your employee. No, no, no. For a, if you're a Christian this morning... The Bible says, but the seventh day belongs to me. Perhaps the reason some of us can't hear God in our lives is that our lives are so fast, so full of noise, that there is no time for God. Or actually, we're not giving God the time that he says, this is what to do in the top ten C's. See, with pursuits of this world's values, which is a big challenge, I know, I have four kids and grandchildren. Along with the competing noise of the incessant activity, radio, TV, internet, devices, people leave precious little time to be quiet. And God says, take time to listen. So you stop, you pause, because God is speaking. So how does God speak to us? Primarily, please understand this, primarily through the Bible. It is his word and it is living, it's not dead, it's living and it's active. And if you're not spending any time in his word, you are missing out. Secondarily, and yes, it is secondarily, he can occasionally and does speak through us. To us through experiences that we go through in life, through trials, and through other people. But every one of those must line up and they are subservient always to God's word. Because God's word never ever contradicts his will. 
you have to discern. Not every idea you get is from God. When you get an idea from God, that's called inspiration. When you get an idea from the devil, it's called temptation. Two different things. How do you know whether an idea is from God or from the devil? Or not, or just from yourself. You test it. The Bible says you're to test to see if it truly lines up like a plumb line, like a, like a level. Is this square? John 10 says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and they know me, and they listen to my voice. So here's a question for this point. How often do I stop and listen to God each day? Do I do it occasionally or regularly? Where is that? Do a pause and say, God, is there anything you want me to, to hear about the situation? Regarding a decision, regarding an event, or somebody that you're getting ready to talk to. So evaluate yourself on that. Now today, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And I'm going to invite those who are serving to come, come forward now. The Lord's Supper is a time to listen to God, to speak to you. And as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, I want to just ask, you to think about saying to God, God, is there something that you want to speak to me? Because we're going to pause. You don't normally do this during your week to pause. God, is there anything you want to say to me? God wants to speak to you, but are you ready to listen? That's one of the ways you express and show your love for God. And the fourth way you can express your love to God is by publicly identifying with him. Publicly, by not being ashamed of him at work or at home or with your neighbors. And saying, I'm not, you know, some people go, well, you know, this is between me and God. I'm not going to let anybody know I'm a Christian. I'm going to not tell the people at work. It's a secret. Friends, if you love somebody, it is not a secret. It can't help but leak out. You're not, you're not ashamed to publicly identify yourself with that person. See, Christianity is a public faith. Listen to these words from Jesus. You are the light on a hill. You're the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. You're not designed to be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. So it's saying that don't be afraid to publicly identify yourself with Christ. Don't be afraid of that. How would you think, for example, if the 35 years ago I said to my wife, I said, honey, okay, I've made the decision, I'm going to get married to you. But tell you what, um, let's get married and all will be committed to each other, but let's not tell anybody what we're doing. Let's keep this secret. And when we're in public, let's pretend like we don't know each other. Let's not hold hands <laughs> or anything like that. I'll tell you what my wife would say. She said, Ian, buster, what kind of love is that? What kind of love do you expect that to be? You see, you can't say you love Jesus Christ and be ashamed of him at the same time. That's a fact. Here's what God's word says about that. Look carefully at this. This is a serious verse. Mark 8:38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my teachings, that means his word. Remember his words and his word. If anyone is ashamed of Jesus and Jesus' teaching on earth when he was down here, then I will be ashamed of him when I come in glory of my Father. And Jesus gave us two very powerful symbols by which we can publicly identify ourselves with Christ. The first one is communion, which you hold in your hands. Communion helps us identify with what Jesus did for us. Three key things. Number one, he saved us from the penalty of sin on that cross. So that means that everything you have ever done wrong was paid for on the cross right there so that you can go free and be forgiven if you accept his payment for your penalty. Then secondly, 
Today, he saves you from the power of sin. He gives you a new power to make changes in your life. Those habits you can't break. Those lips you can't keep under control. Those eyes you are looking at things you shouldn't be looking at. God, by your spirit, gives you power. Extra power, not just from yourself, to save you from that power of sin. So that you're not the same anymore. And then thirdly, eventually, over here, Jesus will send you, uh, save you from the presence of sin. That's called glorification. That's in the future. Where there'll be no more sin, no more sorrowing, no more suffering. And that, no more grief, that's good news. So Paul comes to give us instructions about communion in 1 Corinthians. He begins by saying, you all know this verse, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty. 20. It says, when you come together, like now, you can come together in a small group in your living room or a, group, or a larger group like this. Communion is normally to be taken in community, together. So here's the question. When I take communion, what should my attitude be? And I felt today to clarify this. There's a lot of confusion when I take the Lord's Supper. Should I feel guilty? Remembering all the things that I've done wrong back there all of my life? Is that the attitude? No. See, because I've already been paid for thoroughly. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. What about, should I feel a sense of grief? Thinking, man, all of, because of what I've done, he had to pay for that? No, because he didn't stay dead. He came back to life. So grief's not an option and guilt's not an option. So what should my attitude be when I take the Lord's Supper? Friends, it's not grief. It's not guilt. It's gratefulness. That's the attitude. It's an attitude of gratefulness for all God has done. That God would love me so much, even before I knew him, even before I accepted him and his proposal, and he died on the cross for me. Now, communion isn't for everybody. The Bible says that only believers that have accepted God's gift should take communion. And if you're not a believer, you can become one. Even right now. Even as we take these elements. That can be a physical act of you stepping across the line and saying, Today, Jesus Christ, as I eat this cracker or bit of bread and drink this juice, it is a symbol of me saying... Yes, I accept you and the payment for my sin back there. That you died for me and you paid for my ticket to heaven. And from this moment forward, this moment forward, I want you to be the CEO, the chairman of the board, the Lord of my life that calls the shots that I check in with before I make decisions. Now, if you haven't done that before, you can do that as we take communion in just a minute. As we take communion, we publicly identify our faith in Christ and our love for Christ. The Bible says this, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he blessed it and then he passed it around the 12 disciples. And he said, I'm doing this to represent my broken body on the cross for you. When you eat this, for us today, do this as a reminder. Do this to remember me, what I've done for you. Let's bow our heads. Friends, Jesus Christ paid for three things in your life. Let's thank him for those three things. Firstly, that he paid for your forgiveness. Think of those things that you feel most guilty about, that caused you the most shame in your life, the things that you wished had never happened, that you regret deeply. Now, thank God because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. It's been paid for, forgiven, wiped out, as if it had never happened in God's mind. So thank him for that gracious forgiveness. Secondly, Christ paid for your freedom. Thank him that he gives you the power to change, to be more like Jesus. 
And thirdly, thank Jesus that he's paid for your future. It's taken care of. Because of his sacrifice, you can have a future secured in heaven. The Bible even says to remind us, I has not seen nor ear ever heard Neither has entered into the heart of man what the wonderful things that God has prepared for those who love him. So thank him for the future in heaven. Jesus also took the cup that night and said, This is a cup representing the blood that I will shed for you. And when you drink this, you to do it as a reminder that I spilled my blood for you. I gave it freely for you. To show you this is how much I love you. Do this to remember me. Because of Jesus Christ and what he did for us, we friends will never be the same again. We are different people. We're forgiven people. We've got something to be grateful for. And nothing can change lives the way Jesus Christ can because he is God. Jesus Christ can change fearful, timid Weak people into confident people. Jesus Christ can turn selfish, egotistical, prideful people into loving and gentle servants. Jesus Christ can turn derelict men into responsible, loving husbands and distant dads into caring fathers. He can turn drug addicts into responsible citizens. Friends, I want you to seriously consider this next question how many of you here would say that Jesus Christ has changed my life, good to see your hands okay second question, how many of you would you say I know somebody else who Jesus Christ has radically changed their lives, can I see hands that is why we are here, we're not here to impress anybody else we're not here to go through any sort of ritual. We're not here just because we love to have a good time. We're here because the only person that can make changes in human behavior that we need in our society and forgive us from sin, nobody else can do that but Jesus Christ. Now there's a second way that you can publicly identify yourself as a believer. This is the second symbol that Jesus gave the church. And that is baptism. What is baptism all about? What's this deal about getting dunked under water? What's the big deal? Well, baptism makes three powerful statements. I want to read though first from Romans 6, 3. It says, when we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. And when we came up out of the water, we entered the new country of grace. Oh, thank God. A new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. We are lowered into the water. It's like the burial of Jesus. It's a symbol. And when we were raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a symbol. That version, the message is a paraphrase. You want to study that? You use the NIV or the ESV. And the first reason that you need to be baptized is to say, I believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe in Easter, which is next week. The going under and the coming up is a picture of Jesus' death and his resurrection. Second, it's a picture of what happens to you. You're dying to your old way of life, saying, I don't want that anymore, Lord. I don't want that lot of management anymore. I want you to be the manager. You know, sometimes you get a shot in Howick, it's got Rishworths, I think. Not Rishworth, read away. It's under, under new management. It's got there. That's exactly what's going on. The old's gone, the new's come. Colossians 2.12 says, Going under the water was a burial of your old life. All that stuff back there. Coming up out of it was a resurrection. God raised you from the dead as he did Christ. So when you're baptized, you are saying... I am dying to all my old sins. They are forgiven. They're forgotten. They're out of my life. And I'm beginning a brand new life in Christ. Not turning over a new leaf. No, 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 no. This, the old leaf's dead. Top. Gone. Three, it symbolizes your new life in Christ. The Bible says in Galatians 3, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have now clothed yourselves with Christ. There's other places where it talks about the garment of righteousness. 
So our sins are covered completely. Now I have an honest question for some of you who say that you love Jesus. If you love Jesus, why have some of you not made the most basic command of his important and followed it? The act of baptism. Why haven't you been baptized? Are you ashamed of him? Or are you more concerned about getting your hair wet in front of somebody than making a statement to say, I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ? You see, how can you say you love him if you don't do the very first thing he commanded? He said, believe, next in the sentence, and be baptized. It's together. That's important. When you get baptized, you're publicly signifying your allegiance to him through the waters of baptism that you are now a follower of Christ. So maybe today, one action step for you as as we hold God's word up as a mirror, you need to check on your communication card, I want to be baptized. And make that commitment today. If you're in a small group, why don't you make sure that everybody in your small groups have taken the step by, say, for example, the end of April. There's plenty of time. And by the way, my pool's clean. And if I'm not good, Michelle's jacuzzi's good. We've got, in this church, if it's warm, we've got my pool. And if it's cool, we've got jacuzzis for Jesus. <laughs> the fifth way to express your love is simply by being committed to him. There's a word, commitment. That's the, the world runs away from these days. So often we think about being committed also, by the way, as an individual perspective. But often in Scripture you find the people of God, the family of God, corporately making commitments together. For example, at the end of Joshua's life, Joshua challenged the people to stay committed to God in Joshua 24. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day at Shechem, committing them to a permanent and binding contract between themselves, themselves, and the Lord. See, that's what love is all really about. It's about commitment. Nothing ever happens of significance in your life without commitment. You, therefore, need to choose your commitments very carefully. In fact, time out. Possibly today, at the side, you may want to say, sit down with your wife and have a hard look at some of your existing commitments. Say, of all of these, are all these very important? Or can I prune some of these to make more room? Because my life right now is overflowing. The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles 16.9 that God is looking for people whose hearts are fully committed to him that he can bless and can use. Now what does it mean to be fully committed to God? Well, if you've been around New Hope any time, you'll know there are five basic commitments. We've built New Hope around these five commitments. We talk about them. Number one, the base one is, before you even get going, to get onto base one is committing your life to Jesus Christ. That's what it is. Committing my life to his family, the body of Christ, the church, and joining the church family. Then after you become a Christian, the next commitment we want to make is a commitment to grow spiritually. How is that doing? How are you doing? Some of you make commitments to go to the gym. How is that doing? That's, the Bible puts that in perspective. It says bodily fitness is of some importance, but spiritual maturity is far more important. If some of us spent an hour a day at the gym, like my, I know my sons do, <laughs> clearly I don't, but they do, they're like bricks, then they're saying their priorities are wrong here. How much time do we spend on these things? Committing ourselves to grow spiritually. Then the, th- the third commitment there is all about using my talents and my gifts to help others. Or are they all consumed on my own pursuits? And then lastly, sharing the good news with other people. How are we doing on that? Occasionally, rarely, occasionally, regularly. So whatever it is and wherever you are along that process, what is your next step? You, what is your next step? Is it to give your heart to Jesus Christ and to join his family and to be baptized? Is that clear, the next step for you? 
Or for you, do you need to have a fresh start with growing as a Christian? And if you are, perhaps it's time to help others grow. Well, I am growing. Great. Well, your host's supposed to then entrust those things to other people. So you should be teaching now if you're feeling happy the way you're going. So you're either growing or you're teaching there. Well, how about finding a ministry and helping others do the same or beginning to fulfill your life mission? So what we're talking about today is worship. It's not just something that happens in the, within the four walls of a building. Worship can happen anywhere. Your life can worship God. Notice this, Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Thank God yesterday nearly 50 people in this church showed up to help at the Avenue Christian Trust or out here at Habitat Humanity or for the Rape Crisis Counseling Center. That's awesome. That's presenting your bodies. You showed up. Well done, church. I'm proud of you. Excellent. As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God. Then it says, look, which is your spiritual worship. That's showing up what you did yesterday. Finally, the sixth way you can tell God you love him is by giving to him. Giving in its core is the essence of love. You cannot love without giving. Or you can give without loving and go like this. Sometimes you may have experienced that when you were kids. You know, they'll say, well, here. And mum says, I don't want it, right? Because it's the heart. Even though she got what she wanted in that, that's not the point. You need to give with a loving heart. You know what I'm saying? So you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. That's the important part. You can't reverse that. If you say you love God, it has got to show up, not just mere words. And one of the ways, and yes, this is the scriptures, this is God's word, let me hold it up as a mirror, as a generous lifestyle. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, just as you excel in faith, so you're pumping the job there, in speech, that your speech is clean, no foul language, no negativity, and in knowledge that you're learning and you're growing, and in complete earnestness, you're not a flake, see that also you excel. Don't forget this. He said, even though you're doing this, tick, 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 tick. Check this out, he says. Check that you're excelling in the grace of giving. Now then he says this. I'm not commanding you, but I don't want it to test the sincerity of your faith. So you say you love, do you give? Do you give your time, your talent, your treasure, your resources. God tests the sincerity of your love by looking at your giving of your time, your talent, your treasure. Why does he do that? Friends, God doesn't need your time. He's not lacking time. He doesn't need your treasure. But he wants what it represents. He wants your heart. And he wants you to become like him. And how's him? For God so loved that he gave. That's how he wants us to love. So Ben so loved that he gave. Desmond so loved that he gave. That's being like God. Now I've discovered in life there are basically two kinds of people. You have cheerful givers... And you have fearful givers. Cheerful givers says that this is their attitude. I have nothing. I'm just here for a few years on this planet. 70, 80, 90 years if I'm lucky. I just get to manage a few things. I'm going to pass it along to somebody else who didn't work for it. Some of those people you don't even know right now. I'm just here for a very short time. He gave it all to me. I won't have anything without God. So I'm going to give him the first fruits. Not the leftovers or the scrags. And he will take care of my needs. That's the cheerful giver. And God says, I love a cheerful giver. On the other hand, there's the fearful givers. And their mentality is like this. I can't afford to give time, treasure, talent, or anything. I've got to hoard everything for me, myself, and my family. I've got to protect my selfish interests. Cheerful or fearful? I want to hold it up. That's God's word. You get to make that decision. 
That's your choice. But God does say there in that last verse, notice, he tests the sincerity of my love by how generous I am. So write yourself on this one. Which word describes my giving lifestyle? Regularly, occasionally, or really? Now in a minute we're going to give you, we're going to close by giving our tithes and offerings. And giving is also an act of worship. It's as much an act of worship as singing, or praying, or thanksgiving, or listening. It's saying, God, I love you this much. I want to give back to you. Everything we have came from God. And you can never outgive God because he gave it to us in the first place. Here's the bottom line. There are many ways to express your love for God. I've just chosen six today. But first, first base is you need to establish that relationship with God. Would you close your eyes and pray with me? Today there are some of you here that have never opened your heart to Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you first with every eye closed and head bowed. Would you today be prepared to say, God, I realize my life is short and I realize the need of you in my life. Without you, there's no hope. With you, there's all hope. Jesus Christ, today I've realized what you did for me on that cross. And I realize that I'll never be able to repay what you've done for me. And I've realized afresh that everything I have, even the breath I have, is a gift from you. Would you please forgive me for not trusting you in every area of my life. Today I want to make these commitments. First and foremost, I want to trust my life to you. Then I want to join your family, a church family. And I want to grow spiritually. I want to use my talents to help other people and to fulfill the purpose and the mission that you put me here on earth to do. Use me to make a difference in this world. I pray this in Jesus' name. For those of us who are already Christians, Holy Spirit, your word never is spoken without result and fruit. And I pray today that your Holy Spirit would motivate, convict, And increase, Lord, people's love for you in miserable ways. In Jesus' name I ask it.